Okay, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open your Bible at Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. And uh, it was lovely. It was such a blessing on Wednesday night, and it was such a blessing on yesterday morning to hear people pray about getting out of their boats. And I'm so encouraged how people are grasping what God, I believe, is saying to us from this passage that we're exploring together these Sunday mornings. Let me give you a brief recap. Here's the title, Getting Out of the Boat, Passed By or Bypassed. Passed by or bypassed. That's the essence of what we're going to learn about this morning. These Sunday mornings, uh, we're thinking about this passage in Matthew chapter 14. What a passage this is here where we have this remarkable miracle of Peter in the middle of the storm in the Lake of Galilee, getting out of the boat in response to the call of Jesus and supernaturally being empowered to walk on the water Jesus as, to Jesus as Jesus walks to meet him. And I want to ask you again, and I ask you in love because this is my hunger for us as a fellowship. My brother, my sister in Christ, have you spent another week in the boat called pretense? Have you spent another week in the boat called stagnation? Have you spent another week in the boat called fear? And if you have the longing of my heart, the cry of God to your spirit and your soul this morning is step out of your boat and step out of your boat today for the Lord. Now remember what happens here in Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33. According to verse 22, Jesus makes his disciples go on ahead of him over to the other side of the lake of Galilee. According to verse 23, Jesus goes up a mountainside to be alone with his father in prayer. Now we know what happens next as the disciples journey over to the other side. Suddenly this ferocious storm comes. They find themselves on the fourth watch of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, tossed about, scared stiff with this storm. And then they notice a figure. Then they notice something on the water, someone coming towards them. Look at the verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You know, our problem is we're so familiar with this passage that this passage doesn't stir our hearts the way it should. I want you to remember this morning that back in the first century, it was a common cultural belief that if you saw a ghost, death was just around the corner. Your death was more or less imminent. And here in the middle of the lake of Galilee in the storm, when the disciples don't recognize Jesus and think it's a ghost, do you see what they're thinking? These guys are thinking it's curtains. These guys are thinking it's all over now. This was a pretty scary moment for these 12 disciples. And I reckon that's why early in verse 27, Mark or Matthew uses the word immediately. Look at verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, 
Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And why does Jesus walk on the water towards his disciples? Well, let me tell you why he is not doing it. He is not doing it to show off in any way. Rather, Jesus is about to show his disciples something of his glory, and especially Peter, something of who he really is. According to the teaching of the Old Testament, only God could walk on water. Job tells us that. Job 9 verse 8. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. But another reason why Jesus walks on the water is that Jesus was teaching his disciples the very thing that these guys were scared stiff of, the water, was only a stairway for Jesus to come to his scared disciples. And you know, with you and with me, isn't it true that we often are fearful of the difficult experiences of life? If there's surgery just around the corner, we're fearful. If there's unemployment, if there's suffering, we're fearful. And yet, how many believers can testify that it's through those experiences that Jesus comes to us? as we have never known Jesus walk closely with us. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know, it's also important to remember that Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. This is not a storm that's come to the disciples because they're disobeying God the way, for example, Jonah disobeyed God. These disciples were bang center in the will of God. And yet they're in a storm. Now that begs a few questions this morning. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming? Answer is yes. Somebody's already answered me. Did Jesus, let me dig it a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper this morning. Did Jesus deliberately send these guys into a storm? Nobody's saying yes now, but I'm going to answer yes. Look at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Look at this first point this morning. It will come up on the screen. The Lord permitted his disciples go into the storm to grow them a little. You see, sometimes I talk to people, and after they become Christians, they have this idea, it's all going to be smooth sailing. When we invite Jesus into the boat of our lives, with Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm. Do you remember singing that little chorus as a child? And yes, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. But if Jesus is in the boat, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be smooth sailing. Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. This was to be the night that Peter was to grow a little 
And God's purpose, God ordained it that the way Peter would grow a little as a disciple of Jesus was through the storm. Now look at verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he replied. I want to probe a little bit deeper into this passage this morning. The amazing thing is three of the four gospel writers gives us this account of Peter walking on the water. Matthew gives us it here in Matthew 14. Mark gives us it in Mark 6. And John gives us it in John 6. I want you to leave, if your Bible's open in front of you, I want you to leave Matthew's uh, account of this miracle. And I want you to flick over to Mark a little moment because there's something we're going to dig a little bit further this morning into this passage. Mark 6, 40. That's where we're going if you have a Bible. Flick over there in your Bible, Mark 6, 48. This is Mark's account of Peter getting out of the boat. Mark 6, 48. Listen to these words. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the water. Notice the next bit. He was about to pass by them. Now we can read Mark 6, 48 and say that's just a throwaway statement at the end. He was about to pass by them. But there's much more to that phrase, pass by, than initially we see reading in the the English Bible. The commentators tell us these words pass by, do you know what originally they mean? They originally mean a theophany. Now let me explain what a theophany is. The words will come up on the screen here. A theophany is an appearance of God to someone for the purpose of communicating a message. So please don't miss this. Jesus was about to pass by them. In other words, Jesus was about to reveal to his disciples something more of his character, something more of his person, something more of his nature as the Son of God and God the Son. Let me show you some other people in Scripture who experience God through a theophany. Moses. Remember, he received the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. He was the the lawgiver. He was the guy that brought the law to the nation of Israel. And listen to the language of Exodus 33, verse 22. Do you remember how the Lord put Moses in the cleft of a rock and passed by? Listen to this. Notice the words pass by again. The Lord said, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Stay with me. One other example. Go to Elijah. Elijah, a great prophet in the nation of Israel. And Elijah, do you remember, he felt depressed. He felt spiritually exhausted. And God told him to go out in the mountain for God's presence was about to pass by. 1 Kings 19 verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. So there's three times that little expression, pass by, is used. It's used with Moses It's used with Elijah, and it's used here with Peter. And I want you to notice that in each of these three guys, the Lord does something significant to get their attention. With Moses, what is it? Well, we know as Presbyterians, it's a burning bush, 
It's a burning bush. In Elijah's case, what is it? It's wind and fire. In Peter's case, how does the Lord get Peter's attention? Well, he gets his attention through a storm. Because you see, with these three men, the Lord wanted to do something extraordinary in them and through them. But firstly, God wanted to reveal something of his character and his nature to them. So please don't miss this. Mark 6, 48, when Mark says Jesus was about to pass by, it's not just a throwaway statement tucked there at the end of the verse. It's a loaded statement. It's full, it's packed full of rich gospel truth for your soul and for my soul. Here's the next thing I want you to see. The words come up on the screen. Jesus was about to reveal his divine presence and power to those who would respond to his call to get out of the boat. This was to be the day. This was to be the night that Peter was to grow a little bit more as a disciple, as a follower of the Lord Jesus. And I find it interesting, when Peter wrote his second epistle, away at the very end of his second epistle, listen to what he says, 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This was to be the day Peter grew in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as he stepped out of the boat. There's a second main truth this morning I want us to see. Look at point number two with me. What a contrast there is between Peter, who grasped this growth opportunity as he was passed by, and the rest of the disciples who missed it as they were bypassed. Now, I know some of you are looking slightly confused. All this passing by and bypassed, what does it really mean? Let me tease it out a little bit more. Look at point A with me. Peter who was passed by. Twelve disciples sat in the boat initially. Twelve disciples were sent by Jesus, the Son of God, over to the other side of the Lake of Galilee. And there was one disciple and only one disciple who seized this golden opportunity to grow a little bit and who experienced Jesus as Jesus passed by him. And that was Peter. But I find it interesting because the Peter I meet in the pages of Scripture was Peter that was so impulsive. Do you remember when Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? Who takes out a sword and cuts off the high priest's servant ear? Peter does it. Do you remember when Peter is in the Mount of Transfiguration? Who wants to seize this moment and build three shelters? Peter's the guy. And yet here, notice what he does. Verse 28, back in our passage, Matthew 14, 28. Lord, if it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. He's not impulsive. He's adventurous, but he's not impulsive. And he realizes that he's never going to be able to get out of the boat unless the Lord calls him, unless the Lord ordains this, unless the Lord wills this to happen. And Peter steps out of the boat and he goes for the spiritual adventure of his life. I want to stress 
I am not, when I talk about getting out of the boat, it's not something that should just stir us emotionally, although our emotions are involved. It's something that should stir our wills. It's just something that should stir us to obey the Lord. Because when we step out for the Lord, that's the day we grow a little bit. That's the day we get to know God a little bit. That's the day the Lord passes by and shows us a little bit more of his character, that he can be trusted. A little bit more of his faithfulness, that he's faithful to his promise. A little bit more of his dependability, that we can lean on him the way we've maybe never leant on him before. Bypassed or passed by. Peter, who was passed by, he had this revelation, so to speak, of who Jesus was. But here's the contrast. Look at point B. Eleven disciples who were bypassed. We all know what happens here in Matthew 14. Peter responds to Jesus' call. He gets out of the boat. He walks on the water for a little while. And we know what happens. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the storm and he gets scared. And as he diverts his attention away from Jesus, he starts to sink. Now here is the million dollar question. Did Peter fail? Answer, yeah, he did. Everybody remembers Peter for one thing. Verse 30, he sank. He took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the storm, and sank. Let me ask you another question. And here is my interpretation of this passage. Were there not... 11 other bigger failures sitting back in the boat? Answer, there was. Let me tell you about their failure because their failure was different from Peter's failure. Peter's failure was public. You and I 2,000 years ago remember Peter because he was the guy that sank. But let's get the balance. These other 11 disciples, their failure was private. Their failure went unnoticed. Their failure went uncriticized. But yet only Peter knew the Lord restoring him. Only Peter knew that sinking feeling and crying out, Lord, save me, and the Lord reaching down and lifting him up when he started to sink. And only Peter knew the miracle of growing a little bit as he stepped out for God. The other 11 guys, do you know what happened to them? Jesus didn't pass by them. Jesus passed by them. They were bypassed, rather. They were bypassed. Their failure was bigger because they stayed in the boat. And let me apply this to us here in Kilkenny Presbyterian Church this morning. There are people here, and, and I sense there, in your heart, there, there's, there's just a longing to step out for God. But do you know what we do when we get a challenging word? Do you know what we do? We spend our lives looking over our shoulders and thinking to ourselves, well, you know, if I step out for God, who's going to follow me? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had the missionary video? Do you remember the song, Though None Go With Me? Still I will follow. Only Peter got out of the boat. And only Peter grew. 
And even if you're the only one that's prepared to step out for God, if God is calling you, if God is stirring you, go for it. And yes, you might fail. Yes, you might take your eyes off Jesus. And yes, your failure at times might be very public. But the other people who stay in the boat, they'll fail as well. But their failure won't be remembered by so many people. And their failure will go unnoticed. Here's the options. Option one, you stay in the boat and Jesus will bypass you. Option number two, you step out of the boat and Jesus will pass by you. And you'll grow a little. Isn't it true that there's something in us all and we're scared of failure? We're scared of failure. Look at these words. They're going to come up on the screen. Failing doesn't make you a failure. Quitting does. And if I'm speaking to a Christian, if I'm speaking to a brother or sister in the Lord and you fail the Lord, I want to share the gospel. Listen, Christians need the gospel as well as people that aren't yet Christians. Listen, listen to the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel, and I need this every day. The glory of the gospel is there's something bigger than my failure. And that's his grace. And I'm so glad his grace is bigger than my failure. Listen to Romans 5 verse 20. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Listen to 1 Peter 5 verse 5. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Is there someone here and you have let the Lord down? Maybe there was a time when you got out of your boat and you tried to live courageously for God and everything went honky-dory for a while and then you got distracted. Then you took your eyes off Jesus and then you failed. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, will the Lord restore me? Has the Lord washed his hands of me? Has the Lord finished with me? I want to tell you about some of the heroes of the Bible. There was a guy called Noah. Do you know that Noah built an ark for 120 years and there never had been a rainy day before? Let me say that again. Noah built an ark for 120 years and there never had been a rainy day. There was no rain in the early chapters of Genesis. A mist went up and watered the earth. And so here was this guy, people probably thought he was an absolute crackpot, saying, it's going to rain. And people say, what's rain? But he did it for 120 years. He kept on preaching. He kept on urging the people to get into the ark. And then he blotted his copybook. And he got drunk. Guy called Abraham. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And he lied. Lied about his wife. Abraham's wife, Sarah, she had a visit from the angel of the Lord and two other visitors one day. And when she was earwigging at the door and listening to their conversation and heard that this time next year she was going to be pregnant with a child, she laughed and she laughed in sheer unbelief. There was a woman called Rahab and she lived on the walls of Jericho and she certainly had a dubious reputation as a prostitute. 
There was a guy called Samson, and he had real problems with lust and anger management. There was a guy called Elijah, and he struggled with depression. There was a guy called Peter, and yes, he got out of the boat, but he denied his Lord three times. And here's the question, why on earth did the Lord use these guys? Do you know why? They were all that the Lord had. Let me tell you where the perfect people are. Do you know where the perfect people are? They're in heaven. Nobody's going to be perfect this side of heaven, but the perfect people are all already in heaven. And every Christian has a flaw, a sin that we struggle with. And often the devil comes and says, listen, it's curtains, it's all over. The Lord's not going to use you anymore. And I'm glad that one of the verses we learned in Wednesday nights was 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad that Proverbs 24, 16 says, for the righteous fall seven times and rises again and the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Am I speaking to someone this morning and you got out of your boat and you went for God. And for a while you blazed a trail for God, but then you started to sink and you failed. And you're saying, will the Lord use me again? I'm so glad. Listen, there will be no hope for this sinner called Jonathan. There will be no hope for you. If the Lord said, you get one opportunity and only one opportunity. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Peter failed. Yeah, that's the thing we remember about him from Matthew 14. He failed. But listen, I want you to redress the balance. I want you to remember there was 11 other failures hiding, hiding in the boat. Kilkenny Presbyterian Church, it's time to get out of the boat. I don't want the Lord to bypass us, but I want the Lord to pass by us. And there's a difference. It's hard to remember those differences when you're speaking in public, but there's a vast difference. And as we pray, I urge you, pray, Lord, don't forget about Kilkenny. Don't forget about us, Lord. Don't pass us by. Don't bypass us, rather. But, Lord, pass by this congregation one more time and do something significant as believers. Get out of the boat. Bypassed or passed by.